Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ with our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Keep me to be leaning on you. 
I want to cling to your hand So please understand I keep me to be leaning on you Leaning on God includes being honest with God being honest with the ways that we fail, honest with the ways that we hurt one another, intentionally and unintentionally. Let us go now together to God, honest, confessing our sins together. Let us pray. God, for the ways we exclude others from your table, forgive us. For the ways we like to give certain guests better food, forgive us for the times that we like to attack others before we listen with any curiosity at all, forgive us. For the ways we fail to love our neighbors as you have called us to do, forgive us. And God, hear now our silent prayers. Friends, hear the good news. The good news is that we don't control this table. Christ does. Christ sits at the head, and the words that he speaks to all his guests is forgiveness. Friends, we are forgiven, called to forgive. We are loved, called to love. Let us live in peace with God and with one another. Alleluia. Amen. Before we get into the scripture for today, I want to have a, a brief announcement. Um, for those of you who might be new to downtown church or exploring who we are in a few weeks, uh, August 11th, I'll be hosting a dinner at my house called Discover Downtown. Uh, we would love to have you there just to hear more about who we are and learn about how you can get involved, involved with all of the fall activities coming up. 
A scripture reading today comes from the book of Job. And it's Job chapters 1 and 2, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. But a little background on Job. Job is a man who lived in a place called Uz. So he's not an Israelite. And the book of Job is a long book. It has a prologue, which is a story. And then there's about 38 chapters of poetry in the middle. And then an epilogue. And we're just looking at the prologue. So here now, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verses 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell on them and carried all of them off. And they killed the servants. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while the servant was still speaking, another servant came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another servant came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels, and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating, and they were drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the desert. The wind struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people. And they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord shall take it away. away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. And then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we not receive the good hand, the good at the hand of God, and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title for today's sermon is Let's Be Real. And y'all, one of the reasons I find such immense comfort in a place, in a home like downtown church, is the authenticity that is welcomed here. Frankly, it's expected. So with that, I've got some real confessions to make. First, it's been a tough week. And second, I don't really like Job. I don't like the way he behaves in this story. I don't get it. And before we get into Job as a character, I want to emphasize that there will be no attempt to come to some surface level conclusion on God's role in evil and darkness. For one, I don't have the time, and two, even if I did have the time, I wouldn't be able to do it. Some things are inexplainable. 
If you're looking for a sermon that explains why bad things happen, you're not going to get that. But what I'm going to do is look at the human emotions in this story because that is something that we are all a bit familiar with. And in those emotions, I struggle with Job. I really do. But I love Job's wife. In ancient Christian tradition, Job's wife was given the name Satitis. And she deserves a name. She deserves not to be referred to only by her husband, so that's what I'll call her, Satitis. And in the entire 42 chapters of Job, Satitis gets six Hebrew words to make her statement. Six words to let her husband know just how she feels. Six words to proclaim her fear around losing their entire livelihood. Six words to unload the colossal grief of the deaths of her seven sons and three daughters. Six of the most honest words in the Bible. Translated into English, they say, do you persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. Sounds kind of harsh. But Job's wife is being real. Real with the raw emotions of grief. Real with the pain of losing her children. Real with the struggle of seeing her husband physically and emotionally tormented. And I think she's being pastoral and telling Job that, you know, you can be real too. Curse God and die. Because to me, up to this point, Job hasn't been real. Job's supposed piety remains. And growing up in the church, I've always heard how Job's unwavering faith and his lack of anger is such a positive trait. Interpretations like this saying, wow, his whole family can die. He can lose his house. He can lose his possessions. He can be overcome with sickness, and he still offers praises to God. And you know, good for Job. But that just doesn't seem real to me. Maybe he is that capable of a person, but if I were holding Caulfield, I might call him a phony. When I worked as a hospital chaplain in the cardiac intensive care unit, I had two favorite phrases. This sucks, and I hate this for you. The first time I uttered, this sucks, I walked into the room to sit with a teenage son who had just lost his mother to an unexpected stroke. The words just slipped out. All the time spent with bars of soap in my mouth as a child for saying the S word went out the window. That situation sucked. And that teenager knew it in a room where family members and loved ones, everyone around him with good intentions were saying things like, it'll be okay. I wanted to give him permission to say, right now, it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. Right now, this is hard. One of my favorite movies is a biopic of the musician Johnny Cash. 
called Walk the Line. And there's a scene near the start of the film where Johnny and his two amateur musician friends are attempting to get their first record deal. And they're given the chance to play one song in front of the studio manager. So they nervously pull out their guitars and an upright bass, and Cash proceeds to sing, I was there when it happened. It's an old-timey gospel song that proclaims how Jesus came into his life and made everything right. Saying, he took away my heavy burdens, and Jesus gave me peace within. The studio owner, while hearing this song, stops him and asks him, you got anything else? He says, I can't sell gospel. At least not sung like that. And Cash gets defensive and he asks, well, is it the song or is it the way I sing it? The man responds, both. Cash asks, what's wrong with the way I sing it? And the man looks at him and says, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Johnny gets even more defensive saying, of course, I believe in God. And they have this little argument. And eventually the studio manager asks him, he says, if you were hit by a truck and you were lying in a ditch out on the street and you had one song to sing, One song before you were dirt. One song to let God and all your friends know how you really feel. Are you telling me that's the song you would sing? That same old Jimmy Davis gospel we've heard a million times. Or would you sing something real? Something you've felt? Because I'm telling you that. That is what really saves people. Cash proceeds to sing one of my favorite songs, Folsom Prison Blues. It's a song that he wrote in the Air Force. It's a song of lament. A song of feeling trapped somewhere you don't want to be, going nowhere and watching everybody else pass you by. Being real saves people. Jesus knew that. The Bible knows it. Of the 150 psalms in the Bible, nearly a third of them are psalms of lament. There's an entire book of lamentations, the act of doubting God, being angry with God, crying out to God is a holy practice. It's affirmed in scripture. It's attested to in the traditions of both Christian and Jewish communities. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. It's okay to be angry with God. God can handle it. Heck, if you really want to spice up your prayer life, try singing Folsom Prison Blues when you're feeling down. But if you're like me, you've been conditioned to always be upbeat. To, in situations of loss, try and simplify it and move past the tough feelings quickly. How much pain have comments like, God needed another angel, or 
it was her time, or God has a plan for this done in situations of horrific loss. Maybe you've heard these words. Maybe you've said them, maybe you believed them, maybe you still do, and that's fine. But they don't work for me. They don't fit my understanding of God. They didn't work for Reverend William Coffin either. In 1983, he preached a sermon a week after his 24-year-old son, Alex, died in a car accident. He says, For some reason, nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of seemingly intelligent people to get it through their heads that God doesn't go around this world with fingers on triggers, his fists around knives, his hands on steering wheels. He continues saying, God is dead set against all unnatural deaths. And Christ spent an inordinate, an inordinate amount of time delivering people from paralysis, insanity, leprosy, and muteness. And I bring this up because this past week, one of our own suffered a very unnatural death. I got the call and I didn't have words to say. I flew to Florida, praying the whole way, hoping God would show up. We lost Brent Jerome this week, a member of our church, a father, a husband, and so much more to a freak accident, a strike of lightning on a sunny beach. And I echo Job's wife in saying, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. Whatever you feel, whatever we feel, we feel. And that's okay. Don't get me wrong, I don't mean to dismiss any infinite hope we might feel amidst our finite experiences of pain. The cornerstone of our religion is built upon our belief that Christ conquered death, upon our hope that death is not the end. Jesus proved that on the cross. Jesus proved that with an empty tomb, and I cling to that hope in times such as these. but we cannot skip over the this sucks phase of loss and death. Or is the phase Christ cried himself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The hope found in God is not really all that hopeful unless we experience it in situations of hopelessness. And God knows hopelessness. God hung from a cross. God experienced betrayal, loss, and pain, and death. And in that pain, upon that cross, he quoted Psalm 22, the psalm that begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalm begins there, but it doesn't end there. 
The psalm goes somewhere else. Like our walks with grief, it ebbs and flows. And like the promise of God, it moves towards hope. It ends with deliverance, with praise, with worship. But to be honest, I'm still stuck at the beginning. Maybe you're with me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Yet today, at least, I cling on to my God, my God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving or the kindness you've shown? Lord, help me, Jesus, I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus, I know what I am. Now that I know that I've needed you, so help me, Jesus, my soul's in Tell me, Lord, if you think there's a way I can try to repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I've been through myself on my way back to Lord, help me, Jesus, I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus, I know what I am. Now that I know that I needed you, so help me, Jesus, I Now that 
my soul's in your hand. Today, as we practice the sacrament of communion, we will be partaking uh, for the health of ourselves and others with these little miniature cups. If you don't have one, I invite you to raise your hand and one of the elders um, will come and get that to you. Friends, this is a table that doesn't require a certain attitude. It's not like a dinner party where you have to go and get all made up and put on your best impersonation and talk about how your kids are doing so great in college. You can be real. You can be real with where you are, with what you're feeling, with what you're not feeling. It's a table where Christ meets us, where Christ fills us up, and Christ doesn't turn anyone away. So come, come to this table and join me in the great prayer of thanksgiving. The Lord be with you and also with you. We lift up, lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right to give our thanks and praise, God. God, we thank you for this table. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the comfort that we find in his suffering, God, in his teaching, in the ways that he walked this earth and taught us a new way to live. And God, we praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of angels and with all the faithful at every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. On the night when Jesus would be betrayed, he gathered his friends, his ragtag group of friends for dinner. And he, he gave thanks to God and he took bread, simple bread, nothing special about it, and he broke it. And he said, friends, this is my body. It's given for you. Whenever you eat of this, remember me. In the same way, he took a cup and he held it up and he filled it with wine. He said, this is the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of everyone's sins. Whenever you drink from this cup, remember me. So friends, as often as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim Jesus' saving life, death, and resurrection until he comes again. I now invite you to open these wafers and partake in communion. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this bread, for this wine. We ask that it might fill us up spiritually and emotionally to go out into your world and be caregivers for the broken, comforters for the mourning, and those who can love even those who are hardest to love. 
God, we don't know why bad things happen in the world, but we know that you have called us to love you and love one another. God, that's got our hands pretty full, so that's what we are going to do. Equip us to do that. Knowing that you walk before us, beside us, and behind us. That you weep with us when we weep. That you shake when we shake, God. Empower us to do your work and be your disciples. And hear us now as we pray the prayer that your son, Jesus the Christ, taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. I want to say to my sisters and my brothers, keep the faith when the storm flies and the wind blows. Go on at a steady pace. When the battle's fought and the victory is won, we can all shout together, we will overcome. We'll talk to the Father and the Son when we make it to the promised land. We can walk together, little children. We don't ever have to worry. Through this world of trouble, you gotta love one another. Let us take a fellow man by the hand. Try to help him to understand. We can all be together forever and ever when we make it to the promised land.
Our trail is all made up Way beyond the blue Let us do the very best that we can While we're traveling through this land We can all be together Shaking a hand When we make it to the promised land Walk together little children We don't ever have to worry Through this world of trouble Gotta love one another Let us take a fellow man by the hand Try to help him to understand We can all be together forever and ever When we make it to the promised land we can all be together forever and ever when we make, make it to the promised land. Through this world of trouble, we've got to love one another. Love requires being real with one another. So be real. Be real with your emotions. Be real with God. God can handle it. Care for one another. Love one another. Now is when we need it. And friends, go out into the world. Love God and love people. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again. Go in peace.